Brothers and sisters, you guys have been so patient. The last several weeks, I have gone long, and you guys have been so gracious. But I do think that means I owe you one. So, without further ado, would you please turn with me in your copy of God's Word to the book of Jude, as we look at the first four verses of this very brief, but nonetheless, very important letter. Jude, who along with James was a half-brother of our Lord, writes the following. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the living God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you for your word that you have elevated above all. Thank you. For Jude, thank you for his letter. Grant that we would indeed be faithful to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. In Christ's name we pray it. Amen. All right, brothers and sisters, um, it's no surprise to you, I love the Reformation. It's my favorite era of history to study the implications and ramifications of the Reformation went far and wide. It is absolutely no exaggeration to say that our entire conception of life is the consequence of the Reformation. Those who think the Reformation was simply about religion are are woefully uh, myopic, short-sighted. Everything from public hospitals to free markets to capitalism to, to public education. I mean, kindergarten was invented by Martin Luther. Uh, democratic, democratically elected representative government, all of this found their genesis in the Reformation. The Reformation changed life as we know it. Now, when we think of Reformation, we, we hear in that the word reform, and, and maybe you think of a reform school or how prison is supposed to reform somebody, and you think of changes and, and, and maybe sanding off rough edges, and that's, that's not really what was meant by the Reformation. Uh, the Reformation, uh, 
the word derives from the Latin reformare, which refers to taking something back to its original shape. It would be as if a sculptor took a block of clay, created something, but then for some reason or another wasn't satisfied, and he doesn't just tweak or pinch or sculpt a few parts. Rather, he reduces the whole thing back to its original form. That's what's in view here, taking things back to the original form. And so in the Reformation, what we have is a movement that was looking at its contemporary situation and how the church in its doctrine, in its piety, in its practices had veered far from the faith of the apostles, veered far from the faith delivered once for all to the saints. And so men and women labored to recover, reclaim, and restore worship, doctrine, piety to its rightful condition. Now, I love the Reformation and its, and its valiant, bravery, courageous audacity. I mean, Martin Luther, when he stood before Emperor Charles and said, I cannot and will not recant that, he is the original stick-it-to-the-man social rebel. He... He is the first guy in Western history to successfully challenge authority and come out on top. And in fact, if, if you ever do any reading or know anybody in, in the far right fundamental circles of Catholicism, they look at all the woes that the world is in. All of it, all the chaos, the madness, all of it. And they say the blame lies solely at the feet of Martin Luther. Not so much because he, he, he propositionally did that, but because he challenged authority and opened the door for every subsequent form of challenging of authority, they say he gets the blame for all of it. In the Roman Catholic mind, not only does he get the blame for the modern world's woes, but his doctrine itself is still a live issue for them. I mean, think back just a, a few years ago in 2017, a number of conservative Roman Catholic theologians wrote a filial correction to Pope Francis. A filial correction is, a, is, is a, the kind of rebuke that a son would give to his father. So it's not a scathing, excoriating, raking across the coals because you don't talk to a father in that tone. It's the kind of respectful, I dissent, I disagree, and here's why. But anyway, in that document, these conservative Catholic scholars accused him of implicitly condoning or supporting the heresy of Lutheranism and in showing support for the arch-heretic Martin Luther. He's a heretic that's so bad that he goes beyond teaching heresy, he's inspired other heretics. 
So for the Roman Catholic Church, it's still a live issue. They are still smarting over the issue of Martin Luther. But the world has changed. Back in the 15th and 16th century, the Roman Catholic Church was the dominant cultural voice. And even today, if you go to a place where the Roman Catholic Church is is largely uh, ascendant, nonetheless, it is not the primary cultural voice. The world has changed. But have people changed? Have the principles changed? Is the Reformation at 506 years of age still relevant? Relevancy is the word that that us in our modern context, it's the all-important word about whether or not you matter. If someone is deemed irrelevant, then you may as well brush them into the trash heap because they're deemed unimportant. And if you're relevant, then that means you matter. So does the reformation still matter? I confess that it is hard to date the reformation precisely There's a great many people, depending on who you read, they don't like the October 31st, 1517 date because when Martin Luther posted that, he wasn't yet, surprise, surprise, hold on to your seat, he wasn't yet a thoroughgoing Protestant. He probably had not had his epiphany where he realized the doctrines of grace. He was just on a trajectory that led him to see these these indulgences and the threat they posed, and it outraged him. But here's a little secret. Martin Luther posted his theses to the, to the Wittenberg Castle Church door on October 31st, 1517. But by late 1515, in a quiet little hamlet in rural Switzerland, Ulrich Zwingli came to know the doctrines of grace. And by 1516, Zwingli was preaching in his little out-of-the-way, unimportant church, what we would call Reformation doctrine, but he didn't get elevated to a public position and then start the Reformation in Zurich until 1523. So he's not really associated with the start of the Reformation, though personally he was a proponent of its beliefs even before Luther. So why do we start, why do most people say that the Reformation started on October 31st, 1517? Well, because though there had long been frequent voices popping up every now and then about, hey, things aren't right here, nonetheless, Ecclesial and civil authorities had been, to that point, successful in their ability to squash it. Indeed, even when Martin Luther was in law school at Erfurt, and then he became a member of the Augustinian order there in Erfurt, there was a monk in that city under house arrest because he had been preaching out against papal abuses. It was around. But yet, when Martin Luther posted his theses, it was a cataclysmic 
event, largely thanks to his students being able to read the Latin in which they were posted, and they, without his permission, took it, published it, thanks to the Gutenberg Press, and then they translated it into German and published it even more. So by making use of the latest in technology, by the time the Roman authorities had even heard that Luther had done this, 20,000 or more copies had gotten out. By the time they even met to discuss, hey, should we do something, 100,000 copies had gone out. By the time they did talk to Luther about it, almost a quarter million had gone out. Wow. So the event that took place on October 31st, 1517, was the ringing of the bell. And it sounded forth in such a way that nothing was ever the same. I view October 31st, 1517, just as July 4th, 1776. Every true American, every true freedom lover, every liberty lover should resonate with July 4th 1776. But just as the events of that day were the sounding forth of a belief in the right of a people to govern themselves and to throw off the shackles of political tyranny, so too are the events of October 31st, 1517, a historical declaration that it is God and not man who is Lord of the conscience. So to this day, the Reformation reminds us that though the church may err, nonetheless, the Lord Jesus has promised his Holy Spirit that the Spirit would lead us into truth and guide us. And the Spirit is the living force, the person of the Trinity, that communicates the voice of Jesus through his ministers, that applies the work of redemption in, in regenerating our hearts and giving life to the dead and ears and eyes to believe and see to build his church. Now the event of Pentecost is absolutely unrepeatable and unique. The, the moment before the Holy Spirit was poured out at Pentecost was a different world subsequent to the moment in which those flames of fire appeared as tongues over the heads of the apostles. It was a different world. But in the same way that the Holy Spirit does a course correction in a person's life. I remember the course correction in my life when I was lying in my barracks bed drunk. And yet after moments of stillness, I, 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 in, in that, in that, as that shaking 
calmed down and I had this crystal thought, you are going to hell, I remember that moment of course correction in my life. Have you had one in yours? But in the same way that we have by the Holy Spirit's power and grace, course corrections in our personal lives, what does a course correction in the corporate congregational life of the church look like? It looks like the Reformation. And so mighty power went out. And it was incredible. It was incredible that men and women should, should risk life and limb for matters that we scratch our heads about. They were willing to die to Celebrate communion in a way that they thought was proper. Wow. Glorious. When we discuss the relevancy, the ongoing relevancy of the Reformation, we could, we, we could talk about how the, the Reformation um, in, was driven by the use of technology in that era and how it inspires us to make use of the available technology in our area, in our era to preach the truth. We could talk about how the Reformation inspires us to train and support and send missionaries to the most dangerous places. Missionaries long before the modern missionary movement that began with William Carey in the 17th century or 18th century, missionaries poured out of Wittenberg they first came to and then flooded out of Strasbourg. They flowed into and then out of Zurich. And by the time Calvin was done at Geneva, my goodness, he had a full-on seminary. And missionaries flooded the Western world thanks to the Reformation. But mostly the Reformation I think, reminds us of the power of the word. That we don't have to dress it up. We don't have to gimmickize it. We just have to proclaim it, to preach it, to live it. And the spirit that grants life to us is the same spirit that, that imbibes this word. That's why the Bible is living and active the Spirit attends the Word. And so the Reformation is a declaration of the importance and power and primacy of the Word. But just think how the Reformation, though, though it's, it's not accurate to say that the Reformation's teaching is, is in totality comprehended by the five sola statements, nonetheless it is true to, to say that the, the essential core truths of the Reformation are in fact subsumed under the headings of the five sola statements. But just consider that though the times have changed, though the culture has changed, there have been many philosophical movements since the Reformation. And sadly, it's true 
that the Reformation created a political climate in Europe that culminated in the Thirty Years' War. You probably haven't studied the Thirty Years' War, but it was horrible. Almost as many deaths as the First World War. And it was all about religion. And, and, and the, the, the inability of Christians to just get along and the millions who died, not just soldiers, it created the climate of skepticism that gave birth to guys like Kant. But nonetheless, as times have changed and secular, atheistic views have arisen, it hasn't brought peace. It hasn't brought utopia. Indeed, it's brought only greater death. The five sola statements. If I look at this modern climate, I see how the propositions that were presented by Reformed and Lutheran theologians nonetheless in their propositional applications address circumstances in my life, in your life. Consider, in an age in which we can't tell, am I a male or a female? You, you parents likely have a little bit of anxiety that someday your child's gonna come downstairs and think there's something else. And in our world, there's absolute confusion. Who are you to say? The Reformation reminds us of the principle of sola scriptura. There is a God, and this God speaks. And this God reveals truth. And because this God reveals truth, we can have something called epistemological certainty. Which means we don't have to go through life wondering what Am I? That's awesome. In a world in which the, the state consistently, persistently tries to subsume all under its umbrella to control, regulate, govern, and know it is the master is what it would have you believe. And some of us, looking back, are, are increasingly skeptical against the, the obviously cynical use of, uh, uh, of slogans such as, trust the science. And we want to know, who is master? And for the Christian, we can say with certainty, Jesus is Lord and every government that exists must and will bow the knee to King Jesus for solus Christus. And people make play at work. They go through the motions. Their lives have no meaning. They're bored, chronically distracted, consistently, and they find no value in what they're doing. To this, the Reformation's call 
to find value and dignity and goodness in your vocation. What is it you do? That is your vehicle by which you bring God glory in this world, by which you find your place in God's will for you in this existence, in this sojourn. Because God gets all the glory in whatever you do. Soli Deo Gloria. And mankind's obsession with earning their standing before whatever deity that exists. It's astonishing how even in these secular pagan religions such as critical race theory, where there's guilt that abounds. You're guilty, you're guilty, you're guilty. You've offended, you've oppressed, you've microaggressed, you've done something. And it calls you to do penance. Show your remorse, show your guilt, show your regret. But there's absolutely no absolution. There's no forgiveness. There's no concept of grace. Even in this religion of climate change, Mother Nature is mad at the offenses that we've inflicted. But there's no forgiveness. Do you sit here with a heavy heart, a heavy soul, a conscience laden, the doctrine of grace is that God's favor is given to you because of what Jesus has done, not because of the degree of penance you've shown. or It's, it's because of his mercy. And that brings freedom of conscience. And this is sola gratia. And this penance that we have to do is it's not doing. We're not called to do penance. We're called to repent and believe. For by grace you are saved through faith. So, sola fide. The tenets of the Reformation are as relevant now as they were 506 years ago. Our world, our culture is confused and confounded. And brothers and sisters, the faith delivered once for all to the saints. This body of doctrine includes everything that the modern man, the modern woman, the modern boy, the modern girl needs to understand themselves truly, to understand God rightly, and to relate to him the way for which they were created. So brothers and sisters, my hope and prayer for each of you is that you would join me in your appreciation for the Reformation and that you would see yourself as an evangelist of sorts for the importance of what the Reformation teaches us. Because it teaches us the faith delivered once for all to the saints. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for giving us the faith.
grant that we would have the grit and the desire to contend for it in whatever cultural context we find ourselves. Be with us. Comfort our hearts. Strengthen our spirits. For Christ's sake, we ask this. Amen.